0: I'm April West, and I'm Catherine Sigblad. We're both first-time moms who are passionate about following our intuition and not afraid to do things differently. To say we question everything is an understatement.
1: If you find yourself analyzing ingredient labels, searching for holistic alternatives to pharmaceuticals and routine practices, and you're curious about all things baby-wearing, bed-sharing, and postpartum, you will feel right at home here.
0: In this podcast, we fearlessly confront the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum industries, share our mom hacks, and never stop challenging the status quo. We simplify the approach to motherhood and trust in nature.
1: We are moms off the record. Welcome back to Mom's Off the Record, everyone. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Paul Thomas and we actually were on with the wind, Dr. Paul Thomas's podcast, a uh, few months back. We were recording from all different time zones. So it is a pleasure to see you again. Welcome.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you, Kat. And thank you, April. It's uh, been a long time coming. I said I would get on your show and it's taken us forever. Yeah, Somehow we
0: were able to get on your show before you came on ours,
2: which right. is wild. Right. So and that was fun. <laughs> we had so much fun when we were talking together.
1: Yes. We talked about everything from baby led weaning and breastfeeding and, um, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in the room, right? We talked about vaccines and really that is the main reason that we're having you on today. There's so much good stuff that we want to discuss with you. But before we do that, for any of our listeners who may be living under a rock, which are few and far between, could you tell our listeners a brief bio on yourself, a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today?
2: Okay, sure. So I was born to missionary parents who went to Africa. Zimbabwe was Rhodesia when I was growing up. From age four through 18, I was in in Africa. Came to the States, went to Dartmouth Medical School, pediatric residency in California, became board certified pediatrician, and I was mainstream. Um, It's all I knew. Other than the fact that I had grown up in Africa, which gave me this sort of awareness that things can be done differently, right? I mean, if you go to another country, you get in another culture, uh, things can be very different and yet people are still thriving right? And so it's like, hmm, that just gave me, I think, that ability to to question. So as a pediatrician in my practice, I started noticing that kids weren't doing well, especially with chronic conditions. The Mm. one that really slapped me in the face was autism, because Mm. what was so disheartening about that was you would have a normal developing child with great eye contact and social skills and starting to get their language. And then they would completely regress and lose all language, all eye contact, be in constant distress. And my community, the pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatrics would just sort of say, and the specialist, the developmental specialist that we would send these kids to would say, yeah, sorry, your kid's got autism, good luck. And they would hand the parents a, a two, three, four page list of resources, which were pretty much nothing. I mean, there just was nothing we were doing to help these kids. And Worse than that, there was no explanation, absolutely no explanation for why this was happening. Well, we just don't know. Maybe it's genetic. Well, you know, autism when I was growing up was non-existent. It was supposedly one in 10,000. I never saw a kid my entire life growing up who had severe autism. So something changed and it happened over one generation. You don't get genetic massive shifts in one generation it takes you know tens hundreds of generations to have major genetic shifts so clearly there was something in the environment or something we were doing and that sort of stoked my curiosity to try to figure it out and you know i wasn't alone i mean you 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 two are moms who are on that same journey right of figuring it out and i think you have at least enough to say to the world hey we're going to bring this information to the world and so I applaud you for that. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, if, you, if you're if you watching and you're looking at, to me, you guys look young, right? I'm, I could I could almost be your grandpas probably.
1: It's the beach tallow <laughs> and the collagen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah you guys illusion. take good care
2: of, really good care of yourselves. But anyway, you're certainly young enough you could be my kids. And yet at your age, you're doing something. And so those who are watching and wondering what can I do, you know, take example of these two amazing women that are hosting this show and get involved. Yeah. Get involved. So back to my journey, um, around 2000, I read Andy Wakefield's paper that illustrated a handful of kids who had severe autism and they had gastrointestinal problems and he identified some measles strain virus particles, if you will, uh, in the gut when they did biopsies. It was like, huh, it just had me start to go. It questioned my whole paradigm, right? The doctors today are still, and the public health officials and the government, and of course the pharmaceutical companies that make a lot of money, they're still all saying vaccines are safe and effective, which is absolutely the opposite of the truth. Okay. It's a marketing slogan. If you think about What's in vaccines? There's a vaccine excipient list. And I'm, I imagine you, you two, could probably pull mm-hmm. that up and show your audience. Um, you know, just yes. like when you go to the grocery store and you and you read labels of food that you're going to give your child, read what's in these vaccines. It is horrifying. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely horrifying. So. There's no way it can be safe it's just a matter of how safe or how dangerous and, and of course that's the variable some vaccines are are relatively safer and some are outright scary dangerous let's uh, pause COVID- right there yeah if
1: it's okay so absolutely Let's talk about, because so much of the world is nuanced, right? And I know a lot of times on social media, things can be very polarizing. And April and I are openly anti-vax. Now, that term has been used as a pejorative. That term is intentionally thrown around as an insult. We don't really take it as an insult. We just see it as objective truth. But what are those vaccines, Dr. Thomas, that you would classify as like, Completely, no matter what, just objectively dangerous versus like a little bit less dangerous and why?
2: Okay, absolutely. So, the flip side, and then I'll get to your question safe and effective, right? So, effectiveness of vaccines also varies across the board. Some are quite effective. I mean, they do. D- re- Provide an, an adequate immune response and adequate protection. I'm thinking particularly the live virus ones: measles, mumps, rubella, and chickenpox. They happen to also be some of the most dangerous, but they're fairly effective. Some are completely ineffective, like mm-hmm. completely worthless. Hepatitis B for newborns whose moms don't have Hep B. It is zero benefit, all risk. Okay. Mm-hmm. You take the COVID jab, which is the absolute worst product they've ever brought to market. I mean, it's clear that this was, they've got patents for the spike protein that go back a decade or longer. They've been working on this thing that is synthetic. It was not, this is a lab created compound that is so dangerous that it's turning our bodies into spike protein manufacturing factories. So you now are making the toxin that is going to kill you. Mm. So some have called it a bioweapon. And I, I suppose by some definition, if you really think about it, it kind of is because it has minimal to zero benefit. In fact, it has negative efficacy after a few months. Correct. So in other words, if you're high, high risk and you take the COVID jabs, you may get a slight measure of protection, at least in the early ones, the, the Wuhan strain and the Delta strain, uh, the really old and frail got a little bit of protection for a few months, but then it went to negative. And in fact, if you look at the mortality from those shots, it goes up with each booster. So it gets more and more dangerous the more you take to the point where now it, it's all risk and no benefit. And so thankfully, more and more people are waking up to this. I know the, the uptake rate of the most recent booster that's being pushed now for this winter is pretty low. Um, you may have actual numbers, but I think it's it's not even at 10% yet. So... People are waking up to the fact Thank that this, God. Is, yeah, this is a very, very dangerous product. But what's, what should really wake us all up is the fact that they're still pushing it. You know, yeah. The data is in. It's clear. The COVID jab is a massive mistake. It should be pulled from all markets forevermore. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the mRNA platform, that technology of introducing nanoparticles, it's clearly not safe at all. So, but they're now trying to put all other vaccines or at least a, they really want to go that route because it's cheap to, to produce. And it's also very damaging, which is something I hope your listeners, I, I know you have very educated and informed listeners. And so one of our challenges is how do we reach our loved ones who maybe mm-hmm. aren't as informed that, yes. that sometimes is the most challenging thing of all. Because there's still a a significant segment of our population that listens to the news and thinks that that is truth.
0: I know. But I will say, I I think I read recently how the FDA is actually requiring Pfizer, for example, to update their fact sheets to include warnings about Pericarditis and myocarditis, as of recent studies, that so I feel like there, like you said, there's this waking up happening. But even now, the system is finally recalibrating to make these important updates, so people are aware that it is not risk free. Um, so that was that was kind of uh, reassuring.
2: Yeah, I, I think the the biggest challenge is comes down to who do you trust, right? So. Doctors, you, you know, you all are young moms, right? I mean, you're raising families, and traditionally, parents go to their pediatrician for vaccine information, for health information. Sadly, you know, I'm a pediatrician now retired, so I'm not giving any medical information, I'm not diagnosing or treating. We're just sharing knowledge here. This is a uh, professor, Dr. Paul, if you will, just sharing information. But my peers are still pushing the CDC schedule and what is so scary this year is that they just added the COVID jab to the CDC childhood recommended immunization schedule starting at six months I saw now when parents go into their pediatrician and this is this is what you've just got to. if you're listening and you have anybody in your sphere of influence loved ones friends who has a child that's under six months of age if you do nothing else you've got to wake them up to this horrific, gene-modifying, dangerous shot that your six-month-old will probably be given when they go to that regular pediatrician visit.
0: I have a question Um, because you had mentioned your peers. Most of our listeners are critical thinking, especially when it comes to vaccines, but there are still some who, um, they will just take their pediatrician's word for it, um, because those are trusted authorities in their minds. Why? Why are pediatricians and medical professionals still making these recommendations? Is it A, because they're not studying the same facts that we are? Or is it B, that there is a system underneath that is pushing compliance and incentivizing compliance? Or is it something else? Yeah, Yeah, talk to us about that.
2: Definitely both. So, uh, pediatricians watch the regular news also, right? So they are in it. I mean, my mom was a genius, a critical thinker, uh, missionary, very liberal. I grew up liberal Democrat. I don't like politics. Um, the parties are all a mess because they're all somewhat captured, but yes, true. She in her end years, I, I she passed on this last this past year. Mm. Um, She would watch the news, right? And it's just fear, 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 fear. And when I watch the news, it's just like, I just keep shaking my head. I don't watch it hardly ever. Just once in a while, I tune in to see, are they still just spouting the same lies? And generally they are, right? I mean, it's like when it comes to vaccines and when it comes to COVID, those two topics, what comes out of the mouths of these reporters who are reading teleprompters is pure, lies and propaganda almost 100% it it's it's like the exact opposite of the truth so if you hear that 24/7 on every channel well it must be true right if you uh, i think we've somebody said if you tell a lie often enough it becomes the truth yep and so this is where it. yeah and this is where people will say well that's not my truth mm. and i just have a problem with that there is when it comes to things that are black and white Safe or not safe. I mean, yes, there can be gray zones, but there is, the truth is singular, especially if it's, did this kill you or not? Did my baby die of SIDS because of this shot or not? Mm -hmm. And the establishment says there's no link between SIDS and vaccines. SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome. You take your baby into a pediatric well visit, they're well, and they get a series of jabs and they die. And most die on day zero the day they got the shot.
1: Question on that, because SIDS is listed on uh, many of the vaccine inserts. The, yeah, the black box warnings. So
2: Correct. how
1: is it that the practitioners are able to get away with suggesting that the baby did not die as a result of the vaccine?
2: Excellent point. You're absolutely right. It is listed on some of the vaccines. So clearly it is known to be something that can happen after vaccines. If you were courageous enough to dig for the the data, uh, it's showing that depending on the study, there's several now, up to 97% of SIDS happens in the first week after vaccines. Mm. Almost none happens in the week before vaccines. So there's no question it's... Strong correlation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just correlation, it's cause and effect. Mm -hmm. So, but why are pediatricians not aware of this, they read probably on a weekly, if not daily basis, that there's no link. Yeah. So the pharmaceutical industry is very crafty. They have an infectious disease journal. It's glossy. It's big. It's got lots of pictures and it's got authoritative articles and it will constantly in those throwaway journals. And they come to every pediatrician's desk, like I said, at least weekly, sometimes more often, saying vaccines are safe and effective. There's no link between vaccines and SIDS. There's no link between vaccines and autism on and on and on. Right. So that's, that's half the problem, right? They, they are being bombarded with the wrong information, both on mainstream mm-hmm. news, but also in their journals. And actually the main journals are also captured. We've yes. We've, We've learned that, about ja- that, yeah, <laughs> the journal pediatrics that the, all pediatricians read is completely captured. New England Journal, JAMA, uh, they're all captured. You cannot publish an article showing anything negative about vaccines. So, just a little aside with my own article, I think many people have been aware of this one.
0: Yeah, yeah we're going to so- get into that one.
2: Yeah. So, in my yeah, in my journey uh, after I wrote the vaccine friendly plan, which was just a Trying to come up with a at least a safer way of vaccinating. If you were going to vaccinate, that was 2016. At that point, I was pretty aware that we had a real problem with our vaccine program, and I, I just wasn't quite at a point where I could say "don't do any," uh, which is now what I say. Right? I now say without.
0: Let's talk. I, about I actually that. just want to talk about this because I have a girlfriend who um, was on the fence about vaccines. Obviously, we talk very candidly, but she has recently told me, hey, I feel confident. I'm actually going to follow Dr. Thomas's plan. So now you're going on the record saying that you would not recommend even that more, quote, gentle (laughs) or delayed plan, but you would say full stop, none of them?
2: Yep. And uh, remember, this is not a medical recommendation. This is just my interpretation of the data right? So Mm -hmm. as a professor, I am saying, and here's why. So that book right there, the vaccine friendly plan, it is better than the CDC schedule, but it is not near safe enough. And, and here's why it goes back to those ingredients that are in the vaccines and you're injecting, uh, I was still getting the Hib, the Prevnar and the Tdap, uh, on basically the same schedule, but just spacing it out. But kids were still getting all that aluminum. They're still getting that immune insult, that direct toxicity to the brain, to the developing nervous system, to the immune system. And their bodies can't handle it. I mean, um, I published an article with Jack Lyons Wheeler showing that following the CDC schedule, infants on the CDC schedule spent what was it? 30 to 70% of their first seven months in a toxic level of aluminum. Uh, 30 to uh. 70% of every moment of your first seven months, you are in toxicity with one of the worst neurotoxins and immune disruptors that we know. Well, on the vaccine friendly plan, if it was 0%, I'd go, huh, okay. But no, it's three to 6%. That's not acceptable. That you would spend three to 6% of your first seven months in toxicity for aluminum, which is just not okay. But really, what made me change my mind about the vaccine friendly plan was this study, right? Yes. So that
0: particular, segue.
2: Yeah. That <laughs> particular study, well, actually, the medical board who was coming after my license said prove that the vaccine friendly plan is as safe as the CDC schedule. And I hired an outside expert to come in and just, I told him, you know, you're a, he was a neonatologist, pediatrician, and informatics expert. I mean, it couldn't get any better than that. And plus he was a data nerd. And in fact, he came in and he said, Paul, I just look at the data. So I hope you don't have any preconceived ideas of what we're going to find. I said, no, I don't. I actually suspected what he would find because in my practice over the years, as I went more and more, I had more and more families choosing not to vaccinate. And it kind of was obvious because my sick waiting room was becoming more and more empty and my well waiting room was becoming packed. So there was this shift to where those two waiting rooms were the same to where now everybody's on the well side and sorry, I bumped my mic. Uh, everybody's on the well side and nobody's on the sick side. So I kind of suspected, but first day after he's dug into this data and he was in my office for a week, um, he comes out like a little kid in a candy store and he goes, Paul, you won't believe it. The data just jumps out at you. I know I'm not supposed to look at the data, but I couldn't help it. Your mm. unvaccinated kids just don't get sick. Boom. That's what he said.
1: Did it surprise you when he said that? Or did you like were you like, go figure? Of course.
2: Um, I was elated because I suspected that was the case, but I didn't know it that I, I didn't know the data was that powerful. How about that? Because the point is, we just didn't have good data like that. What we have lacked, what the CDC, which was charged to do this a couple decades ago and still refuses to do it, the NIH won't do it, the major health systems won't do it, but they all are sitting on the data. Compare health outcomes for unvaccinated to vaccinated. Let's look at what happens,
0: Yeah. Interesting that they're sitting on the data, but they're unwilling to publish it because they know what they would everything would come crumbling down if it's so safe and effective please just right. show me the data
2: yeah. but it it they cannot open those data sets because it will be the end of the immunization program and here's the thing doctors my age and older we used to really admire the CDC i mean there there was a time where I don't think they were as completely captured as they are today. They used to really give us good data and and you could get good information. And there were certainly good people there. But over time, those in power who rose to the top were very conflicted and and intertwined with industry. And it's gotten to the point now where the whole thing is all pro-industry and there's nothing about safety. The only thing the CDC is there to do is to preserve the Childhood Vaccination Program has nothing to do with health, keeping kids well, nothing to do with that. It's about the program.
0: And, and why? It, Say it, spell yeah. it out for our listeners. Why is it about the program?
2: Well, if you think about that there are conflicts of interest and it is basically the pharmaceutical industry they are representing, they're yes. like the best marketing arm of pharma. That's right. Right. Yes. They are so powerful and, and they, they've got their tentacles everywhere. The vaccine program is a cash cow for pharma. Is,
0: the money is
2: obscene. It, just go back a decade and hepatitis B, when they moved that to newborns and that started rolling out, that made the company Merck, who makes it a billion dollars a year. Oof. And that was thought to be the most incredible thing. Pfizer just made a hundred billion dollars on COVID. Talk about insanity! Mm-hmm. And somehow they're doing that by giving it away. You know, you can go get your COVID jabs for free.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How's but that? But it's work? not
1: really for free. It's coming from taxpayer dollars, of course.
2: Exactly. But of course, we
1: can market it so it's free. Get a free slice of pizza. Wow! Yep. Great incentive.
2: Yeah. And it's
0: interesting because it's from the pharmaceutical industry perspective, these companies, when they think about market expansion, it's like, well, shoot, we've already vaccinated all of America. So what should we do? Well, now we should lower the age, lower the age and make it a requirement. And now newborns are on it. And this is all just for market expansion for big pharma to get more money. Even yep. though we know it's wildly dangerous to do for babies. And, and, and all of us, right? But right. that was their right. effort.
2: Yeah, no, their their mantra is womb to tomb, right? Oh, gross. So-
1: About that, womb to tomb. So we actually have a slightly less morbid but on par um, kind of mantra for our podcast. We are pregnancy to motherhood, right? So and everything in between. Yeah. So we will um, often receive dms and emails from moms who are pregnant and they're like my obgyn advised that i get these shots and often one of the shots that it's included is um what is it DTAP or tdap in pregnancy yep. yeah tdap, yeah. For, T-Dap. For pregnancy there we mom.
2: go that so, one the flu shot yeah the, the flu shot. shot
1: yes so yep. the, so the trifecta right and now
2: they've now they've got an rsv shot for pregnancy yes thank you so you can get four you can get four, and you might have to get a couple of them twice depending on if your pregnancy spans two seasons, for example.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, April and I didn't get any shots in pregnancy, and our babies are absolutely thriving, but I do feel for these moms who now they feel confused or conflicted because if you're not going to trust your OBGYN, right, who, who are you to trust? And that yeah. must be an uncomfortable situation to go in week after week And this is supposed to be the expert, and they're advising you, you know, per the CDC or whatever to get three to four shots in pregnancy. So, Dr. Thomas, what would you say to these pregnant moms who are like, should I be getting, you know, TDAP and flu and COVID and RSV? What would you say about each of those recommended shots in pregnancy specifically?
2: Yeah, an absolute strong no. Not ever. Don't, don't think about it. You're the mom. You are carrying the most precious cargo in the world, your baby. You are reading and hearing that you shouldn't eat fish, especially big species of fish, because they're very high in mercury. Not nearly the amount of aluminum that's in a shot. Most of the shots that you're being told to give have aluminum. The Tdap does anyway. Um, You know, you you watch what you eat. You're careful about medications you might be taking to make sure they're safe for pregnancy. And... You eat healthy and you reduce stress and, and mm-hmm. everybody, hopefully you have a good nurturing environment around you so that you, you just, we're going to bring this baby into the most lovely world that we could possibly bring this baby into. But never mind here, we're going to inject these highly toxic, untested in pregnancy products. Mm. So here's the deal. They are not allowed to test shots in That's pregnant right. women. So there is no testing whatsoever, either on efficacy or safety. What they do is they just sort of slip it in because they're accidentally, you know, when you immunize a bunch of people, women, some of them are in the childbearing age, and they find out after they got the shot, oh, I was pregnant when I got that shot,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? So let's go through them. The 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 first one they added to the schedule, I think, was the Tdap. Mm-hmm. might have been the flu. It's one of those two. The Tdap, that's tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. Mm-hmm. Now, the main reason they're strong-arming pregnant moms to get that one is the pertussis, okay? Whooping cough. Whooping
0: cough. Like, mm-hmm.
2: Ooh, so scary. Well, here's the thing. There are risks either way. I think your audience needs to understand it, it is possible for an infant to get whooping cough and die. Well, how likely, though? There are 4 million births a year in the U.S., and guess how many infant deaths there are in the U.S. per year? On average, probably about four, four or 5 Mm-hmm. So if you, if you don't do anything or maybe if you do something, because a lot of people are getting the vaccines, the risk of your infant dying is one in a million. What's the risk of your infant dying if you take the Tdap, if you actually take the shot? I analyzed the data and there's a little caveat that if you're not thinking clearly, you'll miss. Vaccinated pregnant moms have a much higher rate of chorioamnionitis. This is where you have an infection in the womb. And there Mm -hmm. is a death rate associated with chorioamnionitis. And I did the math. And if you look at the 4 million births who are getting these Tdaps while they're pregnant, you would lose 18 babies Mm -hmm. to chorioamnionitis. That's just one thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. these vaccines cause a host of immune problems and, and other issues, but actual death in the neonatal period, is way higher for those who've taken the Tdap than those who haven't due to the chorion amnionitis in data. Mm-hmm. So right there, if you're a thinking mom, you're going to go, well, okay, I'm going to save four out of a million, I'm going to lose 18.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It just doesn't add up just on that one fact. That
0: one factor. Mm-hmm. One
2: factor. But you're also giving a huge dose of aluminum. Aluminum is the probably the most significant cause of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. In the womb and in the newborn and the first two years of life especially, a baby's immune system is developing and starting to have to figure out what's me and what's not. So what's self and what's foreign? What's an invader that I have to try to fight off and what do I accept? Like food we generally accept as good, toxins we generally accept as bad. And You've got to figure that all out. Well, aluminum messes up your ability to figure that out. Mm. So it creates this, this issue where your own immune system starts attacking yourself. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. And you got to live on insulin for the rest of your life, clearly associated with vaccines, clearly associated with aluminum. And you know it's just endless, the, the growing list of autoimmune problems. So let's go on to the flu. The flu shot is probably the most unnecessary thing you could ever think of. And there's a number of reasons for it. The flu mutates so fast, kind of like COVID, uh, you get new strains. By the time you make a vaccine and you get it to market and you inject the population, the the predominant strains are different. It's very rare that they're they're the same. So even the CDC data says there's a 10 to 40% success rate with their flu shots. However, it's way worse than that. Here's why. So um, there was a study called Flu Watch that showed that the flu is actually a big nothing. Uh, That's about a decade plus old, but here's the other important information. Every year, all the health departments around the country will start collecting flu samples and testing them for influenza A and influenza B. Those are the two strains that we have, three or four strains of in the vaccine. There are probably a hundred plus strains out there, but anyway, so we start testing. So if let's say you bring your child in, they're really sick, and this always happens this time of year, it starts. And so your baby's got a cough and a fever and they're, they're fussy and you're worried. You should be worried because there are these rare times where it is something serious that is treatable.
1: Mm-hmm. Like if you,
2: had, if you had a bad bacterial infection, that's the, that one time where antibiotics might be useful could save your baby's life. So you don't wanna sit home forever with a really, really sick kid. So you go into your pediatrician and most offices now and certainly the ERs, they'll swab the nose and send it off for pathogens. So I was doing that the last few years of my practice, just I wanted to know what I was dealing with because for one thing, I had a highly unvaccinated population and, and maybe they're at greater risk. It turns out they're actually at less risk, but I didn't know that. So, so we would send these swabs in and every office in town, every ER in town is doing the same thing. So in Portland, Oregon, where I practice or in your town, USA, the health department is collecting flu samples and checking what percentage are positive. Hmm. So when the flu season starts, which is around now in December, it's probably around three, four five percent. So you send in 100 samples from the sickest people and three or four percent are positive. Which means 96 to 97% are not the flu, Mm -hmm. but it looks like the flu. So when we say we're treating the flu, we're treating a whole host of respiratory viruses.
0: Symptoms, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's just Mm -hmm. a symptom thing. At the height of the flu season, most years you're around 10 to 12% positive that are actually the flu. So now, if you've got a match of 10% in a bad year or 40% in a good year, but only 10% of those are actually even the flu, you can see that the effectiveness is now between 1% and 4%. Mm -hmm. And that's not at preventing death. That's just at reducing symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So really, the whole program should be scratched. Now, you inject what we do know that you have an increased risk of losing your pregnancy when you inject actually any of these vaccines have that so, you know, if if you don't want to keep your pregnancy or if you want to have an increased risk to your pregnancy, go ahead and, and vaccinate.
1: Question. COVID
2: has been the absolute worst. Go ahead.
1: Do we know what that increased risk looks like in terms of percentage? Uh,
2: I know for the COVID jab, it's really high.
1: Yes, like, that I know it's
2: too. It's like 30% or more mm. are, are, we're losing those pregnancies. And, and then we're getting stillbirths, and we're getting bleeding problems in the infants and in the moms who've gotten the COVID jab during pregnancy. I think the, the losses for the flu shot and the Tdap, are, they're there. They're higher than the natural baseline rate, but it's, it's contentious. It's mm-hmm. one of those things where some studies are showing one it's thing in the summer. It's hard to
0: isolate, too. It's I'm a sure. hard one. And
2: they, of course, the, the powers that be that have the money will fund studies that show what they want to show. That's right. So it's very hard to get it. All the studies are showing you know that there's Objective. harm because
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: because the real push is to make sure they, they publish studies that show no harm.
1: Correct.
2: And, and so it's not it's not a fair level playing field because when you do publish a study that shows harm like this one, yeah, you get it retracted.
0: I want to talk about that because we're going to have naysayers who automatically are like, oh, well, he, his license was revoked. So, And I know you went through a whole schmear campaign um, during the COVID time as well. So can you tell us, um, you talked about how you hired the uh, neonatal pediatrician informatics guy. Yeah. Tell us the rest of that story. So when you, pub like, all the findings, you published, the revocation so, of the license, getting the license back, all that. Let's yeah. Let's to your so, history.
2: So that was, um, let's see, that was February of 2019. We embarked on getting this data. And no, or no, it was February of 2020. I'm sorry. And November of 2020, we published. And so what happened was, it's about four or five days after this data was published in a international journal of public health, peer reviewed journal that we, we took, it took months to get it through that process yeah. called peer review. Mm-hmm. So the article is given to other doctors who have expertise in this area and they try to tear your article apart and we defend it and we got it through that process and it was published five, four or five days after it was available online. It, my license was suspended. I got a call from my attorney. says, Uh, You cannot see patients, you cannot call patients, you cannot talk to patients, you cannot look at medical records in your office. You have been deemed to be a threat to public health.
1: Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're actually doing the opposite.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But for our listeners who are just listening in, because we don't do the uh, YouTube We got ours taken down, so we don't do that anymore. So what you referenced is your meta-analysis of all of your patients, and it was a graph, and it showed the correlation for these autoimmune diseases – Amongst your vaccinated and your unvaccinated population, we're going to reshare that for um, on our Instagram. We shared it months ago, but yeah, that's what you're referring to is this thing that you published that showed this meta-analysis of your unvaccinated population being super healthy and not afflicted with these autoimmune issues.
2: Yeah, it was more than autoimmune. Yeah, yeah it was it was is,
0: all of the whole gamut of everything. We looked, so what
2: we did was I I instructed this researcher. I said get every baby born into my practice. And because I I got a lot of patients who would come to my practice after they were vaccine injured, for example. And if we had looked at all of that data, it would have been very difficult to sort out, you know, all the variables. Mm -hmm. But if you were born into my practice, it, it was a standard representation of the population in my area. And they were all treated the same, regardless of insurance or not and they were all given the same informed consent process, and they all would choose on their own whether they wanted to vaccinate or not, and if so, how many and when. So we compared for that population, which is over 2,700 variably vaccinated who were born into my practice, and 563 unvaccinated. And so we age-matched them and did the math to correlate for the different sample sizes and then looked at it And as many conditions as we could to see what was the difference in, for example, asthma, allergies, breathing issues, behavior problems, ADD, ADHD, ear infections, sinus infections, eye infections, shockingly, even infections. You would think if you're vaccinated, you're going to have less infections, right? I mean, the whole reason you're doing vaccines is to protect your child from infections. Mm -hmm. But the the more vaccinated you were, the greater the number of infections that piece of information was so powerful and shocking to me i mean i i had a i had heard all right and it kind of made some theoretical sense that you know vaccines are going to mess with your immune system and so you know just don't vaccinate trust mother's milk you know like breastfeed it all sounds perfect woo woo right but it sounds it sounds it's also common sense actually but we didn't have good data well this Mm -hmm. data just bam the more vaccinated you are, the more sick your child's going to be. The more dangerous your vaccinated child is going to be to others. Mm. So this whole idea that it's those darn unvaxxed parents who are putting others at risk, it's the opposite. It's the mm. vaccinating parents who are putting others at risk because their child will be sick all the time.
1: That's Pause. Right. Question. Some people still want to say that shedding, vaccine shedding, is not real, and that's a conspiracy theory. And they laugh at, you know, people who say, oh, I'm worried about shedding around my child. Can you just explain in layman's terms what is vaccine shedding and is it real and does it occur with all vaccines and how many days after being vaccinated should a parent be worried?
2: Yeah, wow, that's a big question. So um, we know for sure it happens with live virus vaccines you know, that'd be the rotavirus. I had two babies in my practice who were unvaxxed because they had a lot of autism in their family. And those two babies happened to be hospitalized with rotavirus that they caught from their neighbor who had been vaccinated. (gasps) Okay. So the neighbor who got the live rotavirus drops in the mouth, oral, fecal, little babies kind of hanging out together. They survived, but it was rough. So there's a live virus vaccine that can shed. You, you, mm-hmm. you're that live virus is coming through your poop for probably. I'm this is a hazard. This is a guess. A couple weeks, I, but I could be way off on it. But it's definitely in there for a while, maybe okay. longer. Um, measles. So we don't see much measles anymore. That's because that vaccine actually does work, at least initially for a while. Not for everybody. Five percent don't get any protection from it. But when we have measles outbreaks, it's vaccine strain most often. So there's got to be some, you know, it it makes sense. If if you get this mild measles rash after the shot, which I've seen pediatricians know that kids come in one to two weeks after their MMR and they have a rash that looks kind of like a mild measles case, maybe. Well, what caused it it's a three live viruses measles mumps and rubella in that vaccine they're clearly trying to get it out of their body you mm-hmm. know so so mm. same there same with chickenpox uh you can catch chickenpox from zoster react you know these live viruses can shed the interesting one though that's been most concerning is the covid one
1: mm-hmm. so that's
2: technically not a live virus it's it's a weird synthetic problematic thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there are studies now, plenty of them showing that you can transmit these spike molecules, whatever proteins, through breast milk, through mm-hmm. sexual contact, through oral secretions, poop for sure. Um, so I think on the spike, on the COVID jab, if you're working with people or you're around people, I would stay away from anybody who's gotten that shot for at least a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And there's there's a possibility you're shedding even longer than that. But wow. at some point, you need to also trust your own immune system and not live in fear. That's right. And, and so, you know, if you've got a robust immune system, you don't need to be that fearful, even of COVID. Although it's just, I think because of the manipulation of that molecule in the lab where they used pseudouridine, that's how they, they turned what was natural in the world into something synthetic that way you can patent it right mm-hmm. that's the only way you can patent something you cannot patent the nature
0: that's right so
2: they they messed with it and adding that pseudo to it makes it very difficult for the body to get rid of it and so i think we're going to continue to to learn how long that thing is shedding mm-hmm. wow disturbing. And so yeah the, yeah the covid one is most concerning
0: well, okay. So let's get back to your... So you published your lawyer calls within five days. He says you can't practice. You're a public health threat.
2: Then what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I uh, couldn't practice. I had time on my hands, so I started my show. It, initially, it was against the wind. Now it's with the wind, science uh-huh. revealed. Uh, so I put some of my energy into that. And um, thankfully, my nurse practitioners... Uh, we're able to carry on. So my practice, it wasn't thriving due to the fact that when I lost my license, it also meant losing some insurance contracts. And so it's it's a real blow to a practice, especially one that doesn't get vaccine revenue. We didn't mm-hmm. even talk about that when we were talking about pediatrician yeah. incentives.
0: Let's talk about, I, let's talk
2: about. I did a study and published it showing that my practice alone was losing over a million dollars a year from vaccines that we recommended according to the CDC schedule that parents chose not to give. Now, my entire practice at that point, we had almost 10 providers. We were billing about 3 million, and our overhead was running about 80%. Ooh. Well, if you lose 1 million, so we should have been making 4 million. We're only making 3, and the overhead is 80%. You can see there's not much left to go around. Right. Right. Yep.
1: And you can see why so many other doctors are pushing vaccines.
2: Mm -hmm. they, they almost have to, here's the, the others. It's just so devious what they've done. So they have created quality measures. All right. So you are a good pediatrician if you have a high vaccination rate. It's a social credit score. You are a good hospital. Mm -hmm. Basically. Yes. You are a good hospital if you have a high hepatitis B vaccine rate. So instead of making the metrics good health outcomes, Right. They make, they make the metrics, how well can you follow our protocol? And if you don't do well enough, you can be dropped by insurance plans. All, most of these plans, or at least many of them, have a built-in penalty if you don't have good scores. So <clears throat> there's something in billing called relative value units, RVUs, and everything in medicine from insurance companies gets paid based on an RVU value. So if I come and see your baby who has an ear infection and it's a quick, what we call a limited visit, the normal RVU payout might be, I don't know, 140 bucks, something like that. If I'm one of those not so good doctors because I have bad quality measures, I don't get 140 bucks. Maybe I get 110. <gasps> This so that's it. how it works. You don't just lose that you don't just lose that million dollars from relative I mean the million dollars my practice lost in one year was just from the admin fee. We didn't look at all the other variables. So it it is death to a practice if you get dropped by all insurance companies. It's death to a practice if you can't meet your overhead. Wow. And so there's this massive sort of I think for most pediatricians, it's kind of subconscious. I don't think they're actually running the numbers and going, I have to do this to, to survive. But I think they intuitively know it. Yeah. And so, but then there's such a dissonance. Imagine if I vaccinate and I'm harming kids and I'm doing it because I need to make money, then I'm evil. Yeah. So I can't, I can't think that way. Right. So it's better to, you know, they're telling me these are safe and effective. And look, all the articles say it's safe and effective. Oh, that Dr. Thomas, he wrote a book. I'm not going to look at that book. That's a bunch of quackery. Uh, there's this article he wrote, and it's not just mine, right? I mean, there's the, the new book that just came out. I, I just read today. It's on the New York bestsellers list.
0: Ooh, I yeah. haven't seen this one. Okay, wait. So it's called Vax on Vax. Let the Science Ooh, Speak Science by speak. Brian
1: Hooker. Okay Dr. Brian Hooker.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brian Hooker is a professor. Actually, I think he just resigned his professorship in California and is now working for Children's Health Defense. Um, but he has a severely affected child from vaccine injury who's now late teens or early 20s. Um, and so he's been aware that we have a problem and he's, been, he's the one actually that got, you guys have heard of the movie Vaxxed.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. of course. It's yes. very okay. hard to actually watch nowadays. I'm sure you're aware of very hard yeah. to watch.
2: Hard to get your hands on it. You can still buy it. Uh, you have to kind of buy the CD, I think, or or streamline it, maybe a direct from the the, the website that hosts that, that 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 movie. But anyway, William Thompson was the CDC senior scientist on the article that was published in the journal called Pediatrics, in 2004, so we're talking 20 years ago, the CDC was charged with proving that there was no link between autism and MMR. Congress told them they had to do that. So he's the senior scientist on that article. They publish an article saying there's no link. And for 10 years, that's all we knew. That there, And and everybody's quoting, there's no link, there's no link. So just keep on vaccinating, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I'm hearing story after story. I mean, every week I was having a new family join my practice. They were doing fine. They got, usually it was the MMR jab along with some others. And occasionally it was the 18-month visit without an MMR, but they had already had the MMR. So I think the 18-month visit poured fuel on the fire. But anyway, I'm hearing these stories of normal kids regressing. And I'm hearing these stories weekly. When I finally got the word that came out in Vaxxed that he became a whistleblower, basically. He had kept the data. They had called the senior, the people above him had called for a, a meeting and they destroyed all the data that, that proved that it was safe because what they were sitting on was data that showed the opposite. Mm-hmm. The MMR was causing autism and especially in African-American boys, but in all kids, that was creating a massive increase in autism. So they knew it and they tried to destroy the data. He turned that data over to to uh, Hooker who or or Hooker got it turned over to Congress, I think is how it went. Okay. So anyway, that's an important documentary. It's called Vaxxed for anybody that's not aware that there's some really naughty, naughty nasty Nefarious. stuff. Going on. Yeah. Yep. With mm-hmm. the C D C
1: speaking of which Well, I wanted to ask, because all the time we're asked for resources and recommendations. We have resources on our website of some literature we recommend. But what are all the vaccine-related books? And, of course, in addition to your meta-analysis, right, and make sure you mention your books, what are all the books you'd recommend to pregnant and new mothers, like absolute must-reads on this subject?
2: Wow. Well, um, I just finished the rough draft of my next new book, which is going to be the exact book you need, but it's probably, it takes six months at least to get it to market, right? Oh, that's just exciting. Just the publisher delays, but we're going to have hopefully a uh, online uh, ebook option available pre-publication. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I'll certainly let you know when that's yes. available.
1: congrats.
2: Um, so this one is good as, as far as recent, right? Vaxxed, unvaxed. It's it's the science, and you can open almost any page, and there's graphs. Love that. Okay, so they show the vaxxed, unvaxxed studies, and there are a lot of them. And that's mm-hmm. the research that you really need to pay attention to, not the manipulated stuff that comes out in most of the journals. So that's a good one. Another one that's really important is called Turtles All the Way Down. Ugh. It's a bit of a big read. Have you guys read it?
1: You know, I haven't heard of it, actually. Tell us about it. April, do you okay. know? Okay. Right. I, I didn't
0: know, but um this is a stupid sidebar, but Sturgill Simpson, one of my favorite <laughs> uh, music artists, he does a song called Turtles All the Way Down and it's oh, yeah, I haven't it's, heard that song. Yeah, it's probably nothing to do with this, but it's okay. uh, just following uh mind trails, you
2: know. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So so what that book does conclusively and very well, it's a it's a big book and it's a it's a long read. But they basically show with no questions that not a single vaccine was ever tested against a true placebo. Because what they do is they'll take the the new Prevnar and we're going to compare it to the old Prevnar. Well, they both have way too much aluminum. The old Prevnar was compared to an old DPT, which was a really dangerous vaccine. So it makes the, the old Prevnar look better than the more dangerous older yeah. vaccine. And it's, it's turtles all the way down. It's mm-hmm. like... Th- it's what's propping up this vaccine safety is the supposed the supposed safety of this older vaccine that was very dangerous, mm-hmm. and so that book will help people understand that there is no safety whatsoever in what's being done.
0: Okay. Uh, Suzanne
2: Humphrey's book, "Dissolving yes. Illusions,"
0: one I'm of it. our faves.
2: Uh-huh. That one is really good for helping people understand the history, history. about polio, smallpox cuz I remember I had a one of my nurses who had been with me for years retired about oh probably 10 years ago and she's of that generation like my mom's generation where they lived through polio and back then it was really easy to control the media there was three channels CBC NBC and ABC and it was a little black and white screen and they would show these iron lung images and kids on crutches and Basically, they just lined up the the U.S. population for this polio campaign and read that book and you will get a whole different story of what was actually going on. Yeah. It wasn't the vaccine that saved us from polio. It was a whole lot of other... It was basically stopping the vaccination and stopping the DDT spraying of of kids in swimming pools. Oh, Oh, there's a whole bunch of insanity. Anyway... I probably have fifty books on vaccines. I, <laughs> I can't go through them all, um, but you do. You know, new parents, you do have to do your due diligence. Oh, there is yeah. this one little one. Can you find my briefcase? No. <laughs> <laughs> there is this one little book, and it's 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 too expensive, and it's um it's uh it's not very long, but that's one of the great yeah um i think i have one in here no darn it can you find the name of it doctor no grandpa melnick i thought i had it in here i must have taken Uh, it out for one of my trips okay dr paul can't get into his briefcase we'll give you the link
0: um is it playing catch no
2: no it's uh a letter to my grandchildren was what it was called okay it's a really short little book. It's on Amazon, at least it was. Um, but it's such an easy, quick read that for if you you know, so many young moms don't have the bandwidth to read. Um, right. It does a really good job of just highlighting the the key issues, the toxicity, and my studies in there. I mean, it just highlights the really important, simple stuff to understand that make you go, "Oh, maybe I better not do this, or at least wait."
1: Mm -hmm. Dr. Thomas, with the few minutes left that we have, we want to play a little bit of devil's advocate because there's always going to be people on the other side of this whole thing who are like, the number one thing that you'll hear, I'm sure, is, well, I got all my shots or my children got all their shots and look at them. We turned out fine. Yep. So can you just break that down a little bit? How do you respond to that?
2: Here's that book I was showing you.
1: Oh yeah, what is it called?
2: Are you able to see that?
1: Uh, sort of my grandchildren. But I don't have the best yeah, eyes. I got it. Okay, I
2: got it. It. thank you. So, to um, sorry to to be so crude and just show an image. Um, <laughs>
1: it's
2: all good. So you know, you know, there's people who were smokers and they lived a really long time.
1: Yes. Right. Some to a hundred.
2: So, yeah. So so smoking is safe, right? Oh yeah, we <laughs> love to smoke here. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, <laughs> Um, So, some people are blessed with incredibly strong immune systems and abilities to detox. And maybe their whole constitution is such that they can handle a whole lot. As our world has gotten more and more toxic, it doesn't take that much to tip people over the edge of toxicity. And so I think that's partly why more and more people are coming down with chronic conditions. Think about this, if, if, if we were vaccinating as we are today, which is a horrific thought, because there's way too many, and way too soon, uh, jammed up on top of one another. But if we were doing this 50 years ago, it, to a, a population that was eating organic food out of their own garden, I bet there would be a much better survival rate and, and less toxicity, there would still be people vulnerable. Uh, we know there are genetic glitches if you have mitochondrial dysfunction if you have mthfr there are all sorts of little glitches that put you at greater risk and so i think for at you as a person looking at what am i going to do for my child think about well what are how did how is your family doing these days with regards to chronic illnesses with Mm. regards to autoimmunity with regard if everybody in your whole family is doing great you'll probably have a better shot at surviving this toxic onslaught of all these vaccines. But the more important question is why, why would you do that knowing what we know now? So I urge people to weigh risks and benefits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your regular pediatrician is going to tell you that the risks of the diseases are way up here and the benefit, the benefit, sorry, the risk of diseases that are out there now is, is high, but the benefits are higher. And I say it's the opposite. There's almost no risk to the disease, and there's a huge risk from the vaccines. And we've got the data to prove that.
1: So I noticed just culturally, it seems like we've normalized things like chronic ear infections. Autism, I feel like, has also been normalized. And it's like, oh, we're not even really supposed to refer to it as autism, just differently abled, right? We have all these euphemisms for all these mm-hmm. autoimmune diseases and developmental delays. So it's like, yes, these ch- some might survive, but are they thriving? That's really mm-hmm. the question.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you have a couple of minutes just to round out the story of your license? I know you got it revoked. Do you want to talk about where you are today? Sure.
2: So six months later, it was reinstated with restrictions. They had illegally removed my license. So finally, my attorney figured that out and dealt with it. Uh, But the restrictions that they were not willing to negotiate at all was I couldn't talk about vaccines to patients or staff. I couldn't see well children, which is when vaccines would be done. And I couldn't do research on my patients, so wow, isn't that crazy? But then they continued to come after me. So the the quick version of it is, you know, every attorney in the end that I spoke to said, you know, they were setting up a kangaroo court, a three week hearing, where they were just going to bring in all these crazy experts, Cro- closed hearing, and at the end of that hearing, even if the judge and you, it's only in front of a state appointed judge, who's mm. they're going to go and they're going to go in benefit of this one doctor versus the state. Right. No. If they found one thing, then they could pull my license and I would have to pay all the fines, which was half a million, perhaps, plus all their legal costs for the past four years they were harassing me and all my own legal costs. It was like, yeah, there's no win in it, is what they said. So basically, I actually resigned. I turned in my license. So it wasn't they show it like it was revoked, but I basically said, you know what? You can have your license. I want my freedom. Yeah. And the load that came off of me when I did that, it was like immediate. It was like, I'm free to speak the truth now. And that's something your listeners should pay attention to is the person giving you this advice conflicted or have anything to lose if they, you know that's what I mean? Right. With depending yes. on what they tell you and pediatricians are not free to talk about vaccines. They are, oh, not, no. they are not free to tell you not to do it. They have to tell you to follow the CDC mm-hmm. schedule or their livelihood goes down the tube.
0: Yeah, our pediatrician doesn't even, doesn't even not, offer but... it. Yeah, like he's like, we, we are not a vaccination office. Not because of philosophy, just because, like, period. So there are yeah. some out there that just can't play the game. That's so.
2: probably, you know, for if a pediatrician is listening to this, that's something to think about. Look at your finances. See if there's a way you can run your office without vaccines. Let some let people who really want to get them can go somewhere else and get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the more pediatricians who take that choice, choose that road, you're going to be amazed at how healthy your patients are going to be.
1: Mm-hmm. That is fantastic advice. Wow! Now, Doctor Thomas, yes. Mm-hmm. Where can listeners find you, follow you? Where can they purchase your books and listen to what else you have to say?
2: Well, the main place I would send folks is Kids First Forever, the number four. KidsFirstForever.com. You'll have links to everything we're doing there. Uh, my partner, Dee, Dee Hoover, and I are both doing coaching. Uh, I coach on this vaccine issue all the time. If, if pe- people are conflicted about what to do, or maybe you've got one partner who wants to do them and one doesn't. That's, those are some of the toughest ones, but I love it because I can really try to bring people together with good information. And I think once people have good information that they can feel good about, uh, they're, they're better equipped to make a good decision. And then, of course, the show is doctorsandscience.com.
1: Yes. Okay. Now, is there anything that we didn't ask you or that you didn't mention that you would like to talk about before we officially wrap
2: Oh, just, you know, thank you to all your all of the listeners uh, following these two amazing ladies, Kat and April. You guys are doing an, a, a really great job. Mm. It's been an honor and a privilege to be on your show. You. And uh, find me at kidsfirstforever.com. Thank you
1: thank so you much so for the much.
2: opportunity.
0: Yeah. And thanks yes. for, the, thanks for putting really your fun. literally your livelihood on the line to get the truth out there. We know that's an ultimate sacrifice and, and we are honored to have you here as well.
2: Well, I now see it as an honor and a privilege to have been able to do that. It wasn't always feeling that way when I was in the heat of it all. Sure. But um, this is important information, and and I was uniquely placed with that information at hand, right? There's very few doctors with uh, hundreds of unvaccinated and thousands of partially vaccinated and thousands of fully vaccinated to be able to see what I saw.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So now I think my job is just to share it with the world.
1: Uh, we're right. so grateful for you for doing thank that. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Right. Great having Until you. Until next time. See you soon. All right. Definitely.
1: Bye-bye. Hello, listeners. We want to
0: thank you so much for tuning into Moms Off the Record. It's thanks to you that we have such a loyal and growing community of like-minded moms, and your support means the world to us. There are countless complimentary ways to show your support, such as leaving us a written review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you use to listen to MOTR, and sharing a favorite episode or Instagram post across your social channels and directly with your network, anything to help us boost our algorithm to reach more moms like us. Additionally, you can help to support our efforts to bring you the highest quality, uncensored, and in-demand content by making a financial contribution. Head to momsofftherecordpod.com and click support us in the drop down menu. Truly, even $5 goes such a long way. Also, be sure to check out our affiliate codes, which you can find in our Instagram story highlights and on our website at the top of the resources tab for discounts across some of our favorite brands. These products and services have been carefully vetted by Kat and I, and we cannot imagine living our crunchy mom lifestyle without them. Your support goes such a long way, and we cannot thank you enough. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow us at Moms Off the Record Pod on Instagram or send us an email at momsofftherecordpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We love to engage with you. And though we may have our hands full, we do read every single message. Until next time, mamas.